What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as usual. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well, man. I've got a winner for the Buddy Hill jersey giveaway, and I'm glad that we are carrying on with our 30-team preview, and today... We're on uh, the Cavaliers, so we got Justin Rowan of the Chase Down Pod and Fear the Sword, the SB Nation blog for the, Cla- uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, how are you doing today, Justin? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time to, to join us on here. And usually what we start with is a little bit of recapping last year. We're going to focus a lot on the future, especially with this Cavs team. I'm sure that that's <laughs> what you want to do rather than talk about last season. But just to start, 19-63, and 63, uh, you guys mentioned it a lot, historically worse defense. What were, what were your, some of your positive takeaways from last year? Well, uh, it kind of... One of the main things that happened last year was going into the season, I expected at some point that the expiring veterans that they had would get traded. So you're talking about your Rodney Hood, George Hill, Kyle Korver. Um, and even though it was painful for the timeline to get accelerated by Kevin Love needing foot surgery after like three games, it was probably something that was necessary. And I think the Cavs did have some trepidation about fully blowing things up and that gave them the cover that they needed. Um, it was a little disappointing to see Ty Lue go as I, I do think he is a good coach. Um, but I do think that he's somebody that probably didn't want to be there for the rebuild. And in a sense, they were almost doing him a favor. Uh, I do think that, uh, the direction of the team makes a little more sense now. You have Beeline at the helm, but yeah, mo- mostly just the fact that they did what was necessary, sold off those veterans. And uh, you, you still do have Kevin Love around there, uh, around the team for some veteran leadership. Yeah, and a young guy that, that was drafted highly by the Cavs in Colin Sexton, you know, maybe started a little bit slow, but I mean, he was obviously, he's going to be an important part of your franchise going forward. How did you feel about Sexton's rookie season? Yeah, so I, I hated the pick initially. Um, one of the things, just... Right at my core, I just can't stand point guards that can't shoot. And that was kind of the the story of him uh, coming into the draft, uh, that he was a good athlete, but outside shot was a real question mark, not something that uh, people expected him to add. Um, and he just developed one over the course of the year. And I always hear stories, and, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this, but every time a team drafts somebody, you just hear about how the guy's a gym rat. He's always in there. He's working on his game. And that's great. But w- we've seen it time and time again where 
that doesn't really amount to any real change. There's, there's no real tangible effects of that. And with Sexton, it really does seem like this guy probably needs a better work-life balance. But uh, for the time being, he really is dedicated to the craft. And um, him adding an outside shot is a big, big first step uh, when it comes to kind of rounding out his game and becoming a functional rotation player in the NBA. And one thing that I really like a Sexton is the intensity that he brings. Like, I think of obviously that college game of three on five and still almost pulling off the win, just never really giving up. Do you feel like that has been a little bit infectious to some of the other young guys on this roster as well? I think so. Uh, and I think that last season they did a good job nurturing that. Uh, they brought back Channing Fry, uh, for veteran leadership. Kevin Love was there. Um, and actually the, the veterans that did stick around, I, I was rather impressed with them, especially Love and, uh, Tristan Thompson, who have been in these long, long playoff runs the last few years. And this season was obviously this, uh, this last season was a departure from that. Um, but they really helped. Uh, the young guys cha- channel that work ethic and, and that drive into the right areas. And yeah, I, I do think that Sexton's attitude is infectious. And even though there were some bumpy uh, moments at the start of the season, locker room chemistry and um, attitude as the season progressed really was impressive in, in how strong it was. And I, I do think that he's created a bond with a lot of the, the players that are on the roster, uh, with the, with Jetty Osman and, and the three rookies that are coming in now. They, they really bonded over summer league. So I, I do think that that work ethic is something that, uh, other pros respect and, and it's helped form some bonds. Speaking a little bit on love here, he did sign that four year, $120 million extension. Just before this season had started, how do you how did you feel about that then, and how do you feel about that extension going forward? Well, I wrote a very unpopular um, column prior to that extension about two weeks earlier, saying that the Cavs should extend Kevin Love, um, or at least see if he was open to it. Um, I, I still think that it was the right move. I know there's been a lot of talk about uh, the Cavs payroll heading into the season, and just about kind of freeing up some flexibility. Uh, but even if they hang on to love, they're going to have over $55 million in cap room the following summer. And it's really not a good free agency crop. Um, and, and my sense is that if it's not really going to hurt your flexibility, uh, it's probably worth hanging on to him unless you get an offer that's worthwhile. I mean, everyone on the roster should be on the market. They should be figuring out what the value is. Um, but when it comes to Kevin Love, I'm, I'm not just moving him for flexibility because you have that flexibility in the future and you have to be realistic that not a lot of guys are going to want to come and play in Cleveland. Um, so I would like to hang on to him for as long as he wants to be in Cleveland or at least until, um, some team makes a worthwhile offer because I, I, I would want a bit more of a proven commodity, especially with the Cavs draft history. Uh, I, I don't necessarily want a pick to be kind of the, the cornerstone of that. Uh, I, I'd like to get someone that at least has proven to be an NBA player and could theoretically fit uh, their, their timeline moving forward. And I heard you mention it on your pod, the Chase Down pod, that you know Kevin Love's game is going to age fairly well. Um, and you mentioned, I think we'll go into the young core a little bit, but since we're on this topic of the money you're going to have next off season, 
there's guys that you would debate bringing back, obviously, but I feel like Cleveland and some teams with cap space this coming off season, like you mentioned, it's not a very good class. A lot of the interest is probably in restricted free agency. And I feel like Cleveland is the reason that guys like maybe, you know, Jalen Brown or Buddy or Siakam are going to be able to demand and say, hey, someone like possibly Cleveland will throw me this big bag. So you better pay me. Like, do you see the Cavs giving some of these restricted uh, contracts out? I think it's possible. Uh, obviously, s- some of that depends on what these guys do next season. Um, there, there are a few targets I kind of have in mind. Karis Levert would be one in, in Brooklyn, uh, depending on how their payroll goes. Um, they, they may not be willing to throw out a big contract. Uh, Sabonis makes a lot of sense. Uh, the Kings are actually an interesting team there with uh, Bogdanovich because uh, especially with Buddy Heald uh, coming up for a new contract, he might end up being the odd man out there, and that'd be a player that I'd be interested in adding. Um, probably no one that you're throwing a real like max offer at, um, but I, I could see offers around fifteen to twenty million dollars for uh, some of the the players that are coming up in the free agency, and uh, if they do feel confident enough in a guy like let's say Levert. Uh, or Sabonis would be the two that I, I'd really throw a uh, considerable amount of money at. Um, then, then maybe. Uh, but I think they're also confident in kind of playing the long game, maybe adding some guys that, that fit around the young core but aren't necessarily building blocks, and then just kind of waiting until the next offseason. So you will have one player that is going to be a restricted free agent next season, uh, and that's Shetty Osman. Uh, you mentioned him a little bit, but how do you feel about his role on the team? How do you feel about his role with the future of the organization? And do you expect him to be uh, extended? Do you expect him to be brought back? Do you think that he is a vital piece to this organization? Now, vital is an interesting word. I wouldn't go that far, um, but I do know that that's somebody that they, they really do like, and um, he he's absolutely beloved by the team. Um, he had an up-and-down year, so especially with Kevin Love being out, he ended up playing a lot of four and was kind of asked to defend one through four, and his body just wasn't handling that well. Uh, he had some back injuries early in uh, 2018, and then from 2019 on, um, he, he was just a completely different player. Basically, as soon as the calendar hit January, uh, he was averaging around 15 points per game, uh, hitting a good percentage from three, I think around 38% and 45% from the floor. Um, he's somebody that fills a need at their weakest position, which is small forward. And I think that with Beeline's uh, constant ball movement systems, I, I think that he's going to be put in a position to succeed. So I, I do think that there's going to be an effort on both sides to get an extension done this summer. Uh, hopefully it's going to be for a team-friendly contract, and then you have him blossom. Um, but I, I do think that it's probably not going to get to an unreasonable amount. Uh, he is still just a rotation player. Uh, but given his fit within the locker room and his fit on the court, uh, that's, that's a guy that I, I would prioritize keeping. And you mentioned him blossing a little bit. What do you feel like the potential of 
of Chetty Osman is. And it's a little hard, obviously, predict the future or anything like that, but he seems like a very capable offensive player that is starting to be able to create his own shot there. I'm curious what you think the ceiling would be there and then the defensive end as well. Yeah, so my hope for him, and this is going back to basically when he was drafted, is for him to kind of be like the small forward version of Tristan Thompson where uh, you're not really drawing up plays for him. But he's making things happen. He he's finding those lanes off ball with cuts. Uh, him developing that three point shot um, really really does change things. Um, if he can keep that up around thirty eight percent, he's tempting around five a game. Um, that helps this offense a lot, especially with two guards that are going to draw a lot of attention in Garland and Sexton. Um, but yeah, just doing a little bit of everything, getting rebounds. He's a good rebounder for a position. Um, secondary playmaking off of those cuts and making the right reads, getting out in transition, and um, hopefully his, his defense will become a little more consistent. We, we've seen good defense at times, but um, I, I think playing a little out of position, as I mentioned, defending some fours and ones, uh, kind of wore him out. So hopefully sticking to uh, twos and threes uh, will help him find a little more consistency on that end. But in, in terms of what you'd hope for him, uh, if not being kind of a, a short-term starter, then at least a very key part of the rotation as a, a sixth or seventh man. Another guy on the Cavs, returning player for the Cavs, that feels like he's he's likely to be a part of the future going forward, although I'll let you tell me what you think, um, is Larry Nance Jr. And I feel like he's actually kind of a divisive guy, where I feel like some people thought the... The new contract for him was an overpay. Some people just don't like his game. Some people really love it. You know, he's a very athletic guy. What is your stance on Larry Nance Jr.? Yeah, so I, I do think it was a little bit of an overpay. I, I don't know if that contract is being offered if his name isn't Larry Nance Jr. Uh, obviously, there, there's the connection with his dad in the city of Cleveland. He grew up there. Um, he is someone that's going to sell tickets he does need to develop some consistency. So both in his ability to stay on the floor because health has been an issue and on the defensive end, uh, we, we've seen him play good defense when he was with the Lakers. Um, but since coming over to the Cavs, he just hasn't performed well uh, as a rim protector. He is one of the worst in the league. Um, I do think that we've seen some signs of growth. He is a good playmaker for his position. Uh, he's starting to shoot threes with a little more confidence last year. Um, so if he can at least become a plus play or, uh, consistently be a plus playmaker at his position, hit a couple threes. Um, I, I think that that helps him be a little more versatile as a player. You don't have to play him as kind of a small ball five and, and maybe you can play him alongside a big and that would help justify the contract. But right now it's an overpay, but it's just not a crippling one. So I, I get it from the nostalgia. I, I don't want to refer to him as a mascot because he is more talented than that. Um, but at the same time, we kind of have to call a spade a spade there. Yeah. Another guy that interests me um, a bit, and it seems like the organization started to lose hope a little bit, didn't like what they saw was Ante Zizic. And, yeah. you know, there was there was nice potential around the rim. But like I said, there was less opportunity that he was getting. Seemed like his minutes really faded away. Does it feel like there's not going to be more uh, Ante on your team in the future here? Yeah, I'm... 
I'm not huge on him. I, I just don't see the defensive potential there. Uh, he does have nice touch. Uh, he's someone that can catch it on, on the roll. Uh, but I, I just don't see how he fits into the modern NBA. And I, I do think to some extent um, the phasing out of centers has been overstated. But he just doesn't have the mobility to play the modern game. And um, I, I do think that he has some value in kind of like a, a bootleg Greg Monroe type role. Um, but I, I think the most likely outcome for Zizic is for him to be packaged as a sweetener, uh, along with one of the expiring contracts that they have this year in order to, to get more assets. I, I don't know how much he's going to increase the value, but having a young cost controlled player, um, might be somewhat enticing for a team. That's interesting because I do wonder what the future looks like for the center position with you guys. I don't know if, you know, Tristan Thompson has been a competent player throughout most of his career, sometimes very helpful. Uh, you know, can't, you know, I, I feel like he's a little bit too traditional to be highly valued or to be paid 18 and a half million, certainly, uh, this season. But do you feel like he's more of a, a trade chip? Do you think that he's someone that could be moved at the deadline to a team that wants an extra body or someone that you would even, try to move on from as, uh, you know, use his salary as filler for a trade or something like that. Or, you know, he is surprisingly young. I keep forgetting that he's only 28 years old. Is he someone that you think the Cavs might want to keep around going forward at all? I, I think that there's some willingness there. I also think that he's kind of in the Kevin Love camp of the team's going to do right by him. Um, he, he's already up there in, in all times, uh, minutes played for the franchise. Um, and un- unfortunately, the real thing for Tristan is that he got hurt. Um, after they won the title in 2016, he-, he was having the best season of his career, but they didn't have a backup center. The only one was Birdman, and, and he went down fairly quickly. Um, so Tristan was forced to play through some injuries, and by the time playoffs came around, uh, he could barely move. And, and just the long years of-, of going deep playoff runs and then playing for Team Canada in the summer kind of took its toll on his body. Um he was showing some signs of kind of rebounding and getting back to, to where uh, he was before last year. Uh, you saw some of that mobility where he was able to switch on to wings and defend them on the perimeter, uh, which is obviously a big part of why he was paid uh, what he was paid. Um, and he even showed some skill as a passer, which was a new development. Um, but I think the willingness to, to keep him around is basically going to be dependent on whether or not the team thinks he can stay healthy and whether or not he wants to be there. Uh, I'm sure there'd be some willingness to keep him around on team-friendly contract, but if you're extending him, you're basically committing to him and Nance as your center rotation. And I don't know if that's necessarily something the team wants to do. Uh, I'd love to see him stick around. Um, I, I do think, as I mentioned earlier, he, he had a great uh, effect on the locker room, and, and he is a good leader and, and a good teammate. Um, but I, it's possible that some team can, can kind of see him as a, a piece that they could use in a playoff run. I, I mean, as much as he can't really stretch out the floor, he still kind of fits that Clint Capella type role uh, of a confident role man that that's going to do exactly what you ask him to do and isn't going to expect um, elbow touches or, or any, any of the other things that sometimes uh, more traditional big men want to, to do to show that they can do more. He knows exactly what he, his role is and, and he's going to stick to that. Are you currently paying off student debt? 
Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. And as I'm sure a lot of the listeners here were aware, we were doing a Buddy Heal jersey giveaway as a little bit of a thank you for everybody that listens and participates with the podcast. And we finally got a winner here. That's right. Uh, that is Nick at Mind of the Goat on Twitter. Congratulations, man! Uh, we actually just uh, bought the jersey, and it's on its way to you. Uh, yeah, thanks very much, man. This guy, by the way, for everyone listening, this guy is a is a big Scalabissier fan, so <laughs> he deserves he deserves some sort of comfort in this world. Yeah, he said that he's replacing the Scal jersey, and I think that buddy makes sense to do that. And yeah, just thank you to everybody that took part. It was really uh, fun and interesting to see everybody instantly respond to the tweet and try to get this answer right, but ended up going to Nick. But we definitely want to keep doing this in the future. Um, We'll mention it on here, but most likely it'll be done through Twitter at Kings underscore Pulse. But we really enjoy being able to give back to our listener base as well. Absolutely. This this podcast is a continual attempt for... Brendan and I to get involved with the the Kings fan base, so we really appreciate you guys wanting to get involved with us. And uh, you know, this was like our first time doing a real live big giveaway thing where it you know it, it was uh, I saw a couple of people that were confused or flustered or, or frustrated about missing out. We understand, but we wish we could give you all jerseys. But uh, we congratulate to you know congratulations to Nick for for nailing it uh, right out right off the bat and. Also, uh, our guy Trevor, who was just so close in second place, (laughs) he did get the right answers like two seconds later. And you mentioned that back or that front court potential of Thompson, Larry Nance. I know Nance is looking a lot more confident in his three-point shot. There's potential there, but it doesn't feel like that would be enough spacing, obviously, in the modern NBA. You would mention that the expiring contract that you think probably has the most value would be Jordan Clarkson. Totally understandable. You know, I mean, second most points per game off the bench, only behind six man of the year, Lou Williams. He's not the most efficient, but can play the other side of the ball a little bit when he puts in the effort there as well. You feel like that there's a good chance they're able to move on from Clarkson and there will be interest throughout the league in him as well. I think there'll be some interest in him. Um, I, I don't know how much it would be, but I, I do think that if basically if you're getting any real offer for him, um, it might be beneficial to move him. Not because he's a team killer or anything like that. Um, Colin Sexton was actually better with Clarkson on the floor than he was with him off, uh, which would be counterintuitive as two guys that are ball dominant. Um, but he, as you said, he, he's someone that can put the ball on the floor. He can create his own shot. And that's the sort of thing that's at a premium. Uh, he was very good in Cleveland uh, alongside LeBron James until the playoffs came around. And I don't know if that, that was just first playoff jitters or what the deal is. Um, but you, you look at last year's playoffs even just, there was a lot of teams that 
really could have used someone that would be able to create their own shot. And, and maybe he's somebody that you need to kind of have a short leash with and figure out early on, okay, is this a night where he has it? Or is this a night where we're going to have to limit his minutes? And um, I, I think there's teams that could use that, especially if he's also helping them get off some salary. So you'd be getting a short-term benefit as well as uh, creating some flexibility. So uh, hopefully there's some market for him. I do think he can help a team. Uh, he just doesn't really line up with the Cavs timeline. So that, that's not exactly somebody that uh, I'd be dying to give an extension. Looking back a little bit to that trade that brought in Clarkson and Nance together from L.A., I wonder, that was an interesting trade at the time, I think not because it, it was kind of a debate over who won the trade, which team won the trade, but if Nance and Clarkson would be would live up to their own contracts and the you know their Nance's extension and all that. Looking back at that trade, I think it was for Isaiah Thomas, Channing Fry, and a pick. I don't know. I apologize. I don't have in my notes who that pick turned. It, it turned into a uh, Mo Wagner. Okay. Or Wagner. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, interesting. I, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's it comes down to. Uh, the, the contract value, I, I suppose. And, and, you know, Clarkson could be moved, like you said. So, but how do you, you know, going back, do you feel good about that trade? How does that trade feel? It's just an odd trade to me. Yeah, I, I felt good about the deadline in totality. Like, I, I thought that that trade was kind of so so. Um, but then getting, uh, George Hill as well, um, he was really helpful, uh, in the playoffs and down the stretch. Um, and good Lord, I'm already drawing a blank on, on who else. Rodney Hood, Rodney Hood, uh, Rodney Hood had his moments too. Um, and obviously they were able to turn George Hill and Rodney Hood into, uh, quite a few picks. Uh, I think they got two seconds and a first for Hill. Uh, they got two seconds for Hood. Um, and that's kind of been the, the legacy of that deadline is just all these guys, uh, have been flipped for more additional assets. And, uh, Overall, I, I was fine with it. Um, I, I was fine with the deadline move. They kept their more valuable first-round pick with that being the Brooklyn pick. Um, and they got guys that, even though a lot of them got hurt, like Larry Nance hurt his shoulder prior to the playoffs, George Hill hurt his shoulder, uh, Rodney Hood had his back issues and, and confidence issues. Um, they all kind of stepped up at certain moments and helped them. Um, George, George Hill really helped in, in that Boston uh, Game 7. Um, Larry Nance ha- had his moments as well. Um, so it, overall, I, I thought it was a good deadline. Um, but obviously it just didn't pan out the, the way that they were hoping. But even if the best case scenario, um, came to fruition there at the deadline, even if every single one of those guys was playing at 120%, they weren't going to beat the Warriors. So ultimately losing in the finals in four versus six. That uh, that doesn't didn't really change the calculus <laughs> for me. Yeah, and some of those seconds, the two Portland seconds, along with a Miami and Utah, ended up snagging you pick thirty, which came as one of the one of the drops. Really, I saw Kevin Porter Jr. projected in the end of the lottery. A lot of what I was seeing was kind of fourteen, fifteen range. But from my understanding, there's some personality and work ethic. Uh, concerns there, but do you see that there's a potential of getting one of the steals of the draft in Kevin Porter Jr. as the last pick of the first round? 
Yeah, I mean, he is absolutely a lottery talent. Um, he's somebody that leading up to the draft, um, there were discussions between the Cavs and Heat about uh, trading the J.R. Smith contract that was not guaranteed uh, for James Johnson, taking on his salary for the next two years, which I, I think is about $32 million over the next two years, um, in exchange for the 13th overall pick. And the Cavs also would have been sending the 26th overall pick. Uh, so they ended up being able to keep the 26th overall pick. Um, they were able to not take on the salary of James Johnson and still get Kevin Porter Jr., who they were thinking of trading up in the lottery to get. Um, the order of the picks, from what I've heard, is that um, they had taken um, Dylan Windler at 26 because the Warriors were going to take him uh, a couple picks later, and that's why they didn't take Kevin Porter Jr. there. Um, but overall, just adding Kevin Porter Jr., going out and flipping some of those second-round picks and some cash uh, to, to take a home run swing at a guy. I, I think it's it's a smart strategy. I, I don't know necessarily how that's going to work out. He probably has the lowest floor out of the, the prospects that they have, um, but he probably has one of the highest ceilings as well uh, as someone that can create his own shot, uh, has great poten- uh, potential on the defensive end, and uh, does have a chip on his shoulder and is looking to prove something in his career. Yeah, the, the Windler pick as well, it's interesting. The Kings, I know a lot of guys around the Kings media were hoping that Windler would fall to 40 for the Kings. Didn't quite happen that way, but it's kind of impressive that the Cavs ended up with three first-rounders. It doesn't feel like that because they are two of them were later, but uh, probably should get to the main event uh, for the Cavaliers this offseason. You can talk a little, you could probably debate whether it's the 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 new coach in town, but I would say getting Darius Garland with that pick is a very big deal. And, you know, the question that comes to my mind is going to be about fit with Colin Sexton. So, you know, take it wherever you want to go with, uh, you know, to discussing Garland here. But I am curious with Sexton really surprising and having a solid year, having a solid shot, not the best distributor, not going to make the, some, a lot of high level passes, but how do you see the fit with Garland and Sexton going forward? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. And um, while most of the basketball community seemed to really like the the Garland pick, uh, Cavs fans were fairly split because it, it basically came down to how invested in Colin Sexton are you? Um, how much do you believe in his talent? And the, the interesting thing with Sexton is as the season progressed and he played better, he really increased the number of catch-and-shoot opportunities and the amount that he played off-ball. Um, Brandon Knight was brought in, uh, and they played a lot together. Uh, he played well alongside Clarkson, as I mentioned earlier, and and those spot-up opportunities really helped him kind of become a little more efficient. Um, so for that reason, I, I'm okay with them taking the best player available, and uh, realistically speaking, unless Sexton really develops um, on the defensive end and learns how, how to be a little more efficient, he's probably going to transition into a bench role, but it's far too early in the process to um, really put him there. I, I think giving it a couple of years of, of these two playing together could help both of them develop. Because uh, really in the modern NBA, there, there there isn't any successful teams essentially that just have one player that creates for everybody. Um, I, th- I think Steph Curry is kind of the, the example of your ideal play for a point guard in the modern era 
and he plays a lot off ball. Draymond Green has been a primary initiator. Uh, Kevin Durant was a primary initiator there. So I think developing those skills early on is important for both of them, no matter what their role is going to be. Um, and when you look at it, uh, Darius Garland at 6'3", Colin Sexton at 6'2", but 6'8", wingspan. Uh, Sexton should be able to develop into a good defensive player if he dedicates himself on that end. And I, I had done a, uh, a piece actually talking about uh, guard tandems 6-4 and under, where you have two guards 6-4 and under playing at least 15 minutes a game. And I, th- I believe there were 16 uh, instances of that in the NBA last year. And only two of them had a net negative rating, and only two of them had a below average defensive rating. Um, so that's actually been something that's worked in the NBA. I think Sexton and Garland are going to suck on the defensive end next year just because they're so damn young and, and you never see that. Um, but overall, it, it's been something that's worked, and I, I think it's worthwhile at least trying. Talking about the defense a little bit, or first of all, I, I read that piece that you had written. I recommend it to anyone checking it out, fearthesword.com. That was a great breakdown by you in that regard. And you had also mentioned that you don't feel like the defense is as big of an issue in today's NBA. You use the Steph Curry example. You don't really see the defense necessarily from him, and it's easier to add defensive pieces. But when do you feel like that needs to start happening? Uh, that is a really, really good question. And um, one thing that I always get frustrated with is we always talk like defense is 50-50 with every position when in reality, offense, defense for guards is probably 80-20. And then as you move uh, along the, the, the starting lineup and get to centers, I think centers bear the almost as much of responsibility on the defensive end they have to play quarterback of the defense they, they need to be vocal communicators they have to cover for guys unless you have a power forward that does that um i do think the Cavs need to start prioritizing adding good defensive players um because if sexton and garland are going to develop into good positional defenders the only way you're going to notice that is if other guys are in position. Um, talked about it earlier with uh, Jetty Osman, uh, hopefully staying in position, and that might help him on the defensive end. Um, I think if Tristan Thompson is still here for part of the season, uh, that, that kind of helps you a little bit at center. Um, obviously, him and Kevin Love missing so many games last year hurt their defense, which it's funny to say that Kevin Love being out hurt their defense, but... Uh, all things considered, he, he's not terrible at the power forward position and getting defensive rebounds and actually stopping possessions is, is something that they struggle to do. So um, I do think they need to prioritize adding some um, defensive versatility in the front court. And um, while that, that might not come this season, because uh, I, I think they're still kind of in asset accumulation mode, um, as they do approach free agency next year, um, I, I and they do have some uh cap room to play with i i think that they should start looking at, at the very least at role guys that are they're going to fit the defensive system so going back to garland briefly and moving away from the question of fit with colin sexton what are, what are your thoughts on him as a whole uh, uh, on the whole as a prospect i know that he really started creeping up draft boards it felt like pretty late to me i saw him as high as three uh, in a lot of mocks behind zion and ja morant uh, but obviously I, I haven't seen much of him, you know, didn't, there isn't much college tape to watch. He did only play five games for Vanderbilt, but based on what you've seen, how do you feel about him 
as a prospect, just just uh, that pick alone. Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't watch tons of college basketball. Um, I've always kind of relied on uh, others to to do that and, and talk to, to smart people that that do a hell of a lot more scouting. Um, I, I think that that's something that we we see too often in basketball Twitter, where everyone tries to be an expert on everything. Um, so I am leaning very heavily on um, some of the the draft people that I've spoken to. I want to give a shout out to our guy uh, Trevor Magnotti of Fear the Sword. He just does tons and tons of European high school and college scouting. Um, the one thing that I do like with Garland is he's someone that can shoot off of a dr- uh, live dribble. And when you're able to do that efficiently, it really does open things up. And at the very least, it, you can. I, there's only a handful of those guys in the NBA, and they're all entertaining to watch. And that's a big first step for me, is if, if you got a point guard that's at least exciting offensively, it's going to... No matter what your record is, you're going to be able to tune in. Um, and I, I think you guys saw that with Fox, especially two years ago when, when the team wasn't, uh, wasn't great. He finished the year strong and it was so great to see that, um, just how quickly he learns and, and processes the game. And, and I do hope for that, uh, from Garland of, um, he's going to struggle early on. Um, it's going to take him a while to adapt to the NBA game, especially because he didn't even have that. Uh, really much of a college season to transition and learn the college game. Um, but I do think that he has good court sense. He has good basketball IQ. Uh, he's able to, to play off ball. Um, and his shooting is obviously his, his strong suit along with his handle. So um, those, those are things that I typically value both from an entertainment and a team building standpoint. So uh, I am excited to have him on the roster. Yeah, of course, you got things to look forward to. Number five pick, and like you mentioned, was viewed as best player available at that time, even though there, you know, maybe question marks because you missed out on a year of his progression. But he's right. going into a system in John B line that, again, I'm not too familiar with his style in any sort of way, but do you feel like he's coming in and looking to set a certain identity that maybe wasn't there with Ty Lu? Uh, throughout last year to help the young guys progress and have some sort of consistency moving forward. Yeah, I, I do think that the overhauled coaching staff is going to help um, them develop a little bit more. Um, they they do have um, young coaches. They have guys with experience. Uh, JB Bickerstaff is obviously a big part of that. Um, and Beeline, I, I think, is interesting because in college, he did play a lot with two ball dominant guards and kind of sharing those responsibilities and having playmaking, uh, occur from, uh, the forward positions and, and shooting a lot of threes. It, it's a very modern NBA offense that he ran there. And, um, a lot of what he's said since being hired is kind of a, a willingness to, to look at the analytics, to look at the tape. And, and uh, even though he, he's an older coach, there's a real hunger to learn, which I, I think is nice. And uh, the, the fact that he, he's humble and you're not getting that David Blatt arrogance of, well, I, I had success elsewhere, so I'm going to have success here. I'm going to do it my way. Um, I, I do think that his willingness to be open to new ideas and to really change his offense based on the personnel, which is something he did a lot in Michigan, uh, is going to help him out um, transition to the NBA. Again, there's 
they're really going to be relying on a lot of young players. You got the three rookies, you got Colin Sexton and Jetty Osmond, um, that are all probably going to be probably top eight in your rotation. And when you have that many young guys, you, you're going to lose some games. You're going to make some mistakes. Um, but my hope is that you at least see a good process that you, you see that, um, they're, they're working towards something. And hopefully they, they can be like the Brooklyn Nets of a few years ago where, yeah, they suck, but you could tell what they're running and you can tell what they're developing. And, and that's my real hope for next year. Speaking more towards that hope for next year, is there anyone, if you had to, to put a name down for the guy who's going to make the biggest step forward, uh, from this roster? And if you wouldn't mind also giving a name that you think would take the biggest step back, if you had to identify one for both, uh, who would you, who would you be picking off this roster? Oh, so if I had a dream scenario where I want this guy to take a massive step forward, is that what you're asking? More, who would you, if you're, if you're actually guessing the most realistic outcome, who's the guy? I mean, is it, is Sexton taking a, a, a leap forward? Is it going to be Chetty? You know, do you think Zizic comes out of nowhere or, <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, you can get, you can get crazy with it. You, you can tell me Tristan Thompson starts, you know, developing the nice three and. Oh, uh, well, we've already, we've already seen the summer workout three from Tristan Thompson. So there you course. go. And Rudy um, Gobert, right? Oh my God. I, I can't <laughs> believe people fall for that every year. I mean, yes, Tristan in an open gym is going to hit like 50 out of 100 threes. So he's an NBA player. So I think Colin Sexton's probably. Because I'm not going to pick any of the rookies. I, I mean, I'd love to see Kim Porter Jr. take a massive leap from who he was in college because I, I think that that would be a high upside play that would uh, change the Cavs' future. I think Sexton, just because of his work ethic, just because he seems to understand what the team wants from him, I, I think that I, he has what it takes to, to really make a leap and, and to study the right things. And that's really the key for the Cavs. And I, I hope that his time with Beeline this summer is paying off and, and all the extra time in the gym because that work ethic needs to be channeled into the right areas. It needs to be channeled into film study. He needs to, to understand he can't just keep doing what he was doing before, but better. You, you have to make some real changes. And, and that was something that I really admired from him uh, in his rookie year was his strength coming into the league was the mid-range shot and the mid-range pull-up. And for a kid that young to look at his biggest strength in the NBA and say, that's actually a weakness, that's, that's not the way that this game is played, and then just dedicate himself to expanding that range and, and making that pull-up become a spot-up three and eventually a pull-up three, um, that showed me something that uh, I don't, usually see with professional athletes i don't see from anyone really that that young i mean i certainly didn't have that kind of self-awareness uh so colin sexton would be kind of my pick for somebody that that could take a leap next year um i think for a step back and i i'm really worried that it's going to be larry nance um because i i hmm. think he's the the only other guy outside of those young players that i had mentioned earlier um, that, that sign long term and, and they seem to view it as a building block. Um, for him to take a step back w- with either his health, um, or the strides he made last year as a playmaker and, and developing that outside shot, uh, that, that would be really tough to, sw- to swallow because it, as I mentioned, he's one of the only guys that's locked up long term and, and for that money to look dead, even though the contract does um, reduce as time goes on. I, I think it's only down to like nine million by the last year. 
um, that that would still be a tough blow from a team building standpoint. And obviously there's specific areas in players games that you want to see them progress in that I'm sure, you know, uh, each fan base is watching these players to see that if they take a step in this specific aspect, that it will do a lot for their game. Sacramento, there's Buddy Heald finishing around the rim, Harry Giles backing up that mid range to a three point shot a little bit. You kind of mentioned it was Sexton. Obviously he's going to play off ball a little more scoring off the bounce, but is there other storylines that you're really keeping a close tab on going into this season? I think the biggest thing is just defensive growth, like just individual defensive growth. I, I mentioned it earlier with Sexton, but he does have that frame uh, to be a good defensive player. And even if he can't really develop a whole lot as a playmaker, as long as he isn't a ball stopper and pounding the ball for seven, eight seconds, like if he's just making the extra pass, is an efficient score off ball, and plays defense, that's someone, okay, you can understand where he fits in team building and you can work from there and hope that you see growth. Uh, for Jetty Osman, uh, he fills so many gaps with his team, but he needs to develop on the defensive end. And obviously when you have the worst defense in history, uh, the only way to go is up, I guess, but <laughs> you need some, you need some of these guys to start to figure it out on that end. And you're not going to solve all the problems by bringing in uh, fresh rotation guys and, and guys that kind of fill in the gaps. The, the existing core that you have needs to take steps forward on, on that end. Uh, so that's really going to be the thing that I'm focusing on because I'm not too, too concerned about the offense next year. Um, even when Kevin Love came back for a large stretch of that, they, they were top 10 at, at that point. Um, and I, I do think that getting young, hungry, motivated guys, adding two of the best shooters in the draft, that, that's going to help you on the offensive end, uh, and that's going to keep you in some games. Um, but the only way that you're going to stop your fans from getting constant migraines is if you start to, to actually stop some people. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Awesome. So... Looking forward, projecting out this the starting lineup and the rotations. Do you think there is a clear starting five that you would be confident in? You know, in saying that they will start the year like that, or do you think there's some positional battles going on here? Some considerations, or if you had to guess at a, a starting five, who do you think's out there opening night? Yeah, th there's only one spot that I, I think is going to be up for grabs, and that's center. Um, I think it'll be between Tristan and Larry Nance. Um, obviously, trades might change things, but as currently constructed, I, I think your starting lineup is going to be Garland, uh, Sexton, Jetty, Love, and Thompson. Um, and as I said, Larry Nance might get the start there. Um, health is obviously going to be a, a big concern. Um, but the the only other thing is, I guess it's possible they, they don't start Garland right away, but I, I don't see the, the point of that. He's going to be playing starters minutes. I don't understand why we get cute with this stuff. Um, I, Joe, Joe Varden uh, of The Athletic had kind of advocated for that, and frankly, it makes no sense to me. Um, 
Colin Sexton was a bit of a reach at eight, uh, whereas Garland's kind of viewed as a steal at five. So I, I think you're talking about a different tier of prospect, um, and hopefully he, he comes in. And even though he's going to make the rookie mistakes, raw talent alone should get him in the starting lineup. Before we, or we had touched on, usually we ask strengths and weaknesses. I think we touched on that a little bit. Obviously, uh, defense is still going to be a weakness here. And I don't know if I'd necessarily call it a strength, but you have some confidence in the offense uh, that with that moving forward, one one thing before we kind of move on to win projections for next year is you mentioned possibly taking on some contracts this year and it makes sense you take on bad ones dump some of these larger expiring ones to get back you know more assets you said you prefer it not to be picks um i'm curious if there's anybody specific you have in mind that maybe is a little bit overpaid that you could attach a young guy to uh to throw a random one out here you know the return of andrew wiggins and Give yourself a first round pick and Josh Akogi, something like that. But is there anybody that is on your target list in that regard? Yeah, I, I'd need a lot to take on Wiggins. Uh, <laughs> to clarify, the preferring player to pick really comes down to just with Kevin Love. Uh, for the other expirings, yeah. I'm just going to take picks. Um, now, depending on how bad the contract is, that may change uh, what I would want in return. Um, but for some of these guys, I, I mean, Brandon Knight, a, a couple seconds would be fine. Um, and it, Jordan Clarkson, I, I don't know how much I, I'd really expect. Obviously, you hope for a first, but um, that's kind of be, to be determined. They, they got a lot of picks for their expirings last year, um, but there was also a lot of anticipation for this this free agency period where there isn't for next year. Um, in terms of guys that I target, uh, Nick Batum has been a name that comes up forever. I, I think he actually does kind of fit it to some extent. Um, I, I think that he can at least be helpful. And that, that would be someone, those are the type of players that I would really like, where they're a bad contract. Uh, they don't give you the value that they are being paid for. Um, but in terms of actual fit, hey, it might actually help you on the basketball court a little bit. Or this guy's a, a veteran that uh, can provide some leadership. Like even Brandon Knight, Yes, he, he's overpaid. Now he's an expiring contract. Uh, but when they brought him in last year, that actually kind of helped stabilize things a little bit. It, it helped Colin Sexton develop and um, gave him an opportunity to play off ball, which, which he excelled in. Um, so those are the type of guys that I'd like to target. Basically, any overpaid wings. Uh, Wiggins just doesn't interest me because I really want to stay away from guys that don't like playing basketball. And that seems <laughs> to be the rap on him. And that contract is just so yeah. damn massive. Um, so if I'm taking on anything that goes beyond like an additional season, um, then you're starting to look into uh, real assets in return that, that I'd be asking for. So getting down to the nitty-gritty, wins and losses. Uh, let's talk about this. Vegas has the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, There's a little bit of disparity, but not nearly as much as with some other teams, the last team we did was Chicago, and they were all over the place, but uh, most of the sites that I see have them right around 24 wins as an over-under for next season. Are you, you feel like it's about right? Are you hitting the, the over or the under on that? Yeah, that's not a bad line. I think you're probably looking at about 26 would be the, the personal line that I'd set. Um, obviously, so much of this hinges on, does Kevin Love get traded? Um, if so, when? 
Um, and is he healthy if he is on the roster? Because uh, they, they won 19 games last year uh, with a lot of veterans that didn't want to be there um, with Colin Sexton being really bad for a lot of the year, uh, with Jerry Osmond being hurt, with Tristan Thompson missing most of the season, uh, Larry Nance missing a lot of time. Like, the, the they were starting guys like Blossom Game and Marquise Chris. It was just an absolute tire fire. Um, so I do think that if they're healthy, that can get them kind of above that uh, 24 and a half line. Um, but I, I do think that I would bet the over if I had to bet. But as always with tanking teams, you, you probably want to stay away. And you know, one thing I'm upset that I almost forgot to mention is I think you coined one of the greatest nicknames for your for your backcourt duo, and <laughs> I need to get the pronunciation here. Is it Sexland or Sexland or what's going I'm on I'm going here? Sexland. Okay. You got to go Sexland, baby. You have to. It, it's so perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah no. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a trip, man. That's, that's, that's sounds, yeah, right. that sounds lovely. I, I need to uh, I need to uh, come up with some sort of T-shirt design for Sexland, but I I really hope that the pairing works. Um, I I have confidence that they'll turn into decent to good NBA players, uh, but for that pairing to actually work and it to be kind of a fun version of what Kyrie and Dion were um, would be great because the the Kyrie Dion thing that was I, I don't know if the yeah. basketball fit was his, the worst thing. It was a lot of bad personality fit in it, and these seem like different dudes, so I really hope that it works out. The last question that we normally ask is is for our guests to project a little bit further down the road. Um, and I know that's difficult to do, especially with a team like the Cavs, who are really – there's going to be a lot of turnover in the roster, even just next year. But if you had to project out two or three or four years – you know, do you feel good about this team? Do you feel good about its chances to to make the playoffs, even if it's just an eighth seed? What do you see? You know, where do you see the ceiling being, or, or even the floor being for this team over the next, say, three or four years? Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. Um, main reason I feel good, especially in comparison to last year, is now we have five prospects worth caring about, um, and really, that's that's the biggest thing as a fan. I don't expect the sun, the moon, and the stars. I, I just want something that's going to captivate me and, and something worth caring about. Um, I do hope that kind of within two, three years, you, you're back in that playoff picture. And uh, for me, especially with a team that's built around a guard tandem at the moment, um, you hope that that works out and you can kind of follow in that Portland or Toronto mold or, or maybe even be like the, the Atlanta Hawks teams of a few years ago where, um, good, but not a contender, um, consistently in the playoffs. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think where those teams get into trouble is when they reach that plateau and then they're not willing to cash in their chips. They're, they're not willing to take risks. I think. My goal for the Cavs, because you're not going to be a playoff destination, is provide a good proof of concept, develop players, um, get a coaching staff you believe in, develop a, a culture that does not revolve around LeBron James. And if you can develop prospects and get the most out of your guys, then you're going to be able to cash in some of those chips and, and take some chances. And, and hopefully you get a few lucky breaks along the way because team building is so dependent on luck. Um, but as a fan, at this point, I, I just want to see a, a team that 
operates like a normal team. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you guys can relate to that to some extent. Um, just get over that damn hump. Get over kind of some of those demons of the past and and have fun when you're out there. Because, I, I mean, ultimately, that's the main thing. There, A lot of that LeBron stretch, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to roll their eyes at this, but a lot of it wasn't fun. It, it was an exhausting four years. Uh, there, there were ridiculous highs, but you sacrificed a lot of regular season fun uh, in exchange for the, the drama that came with it and, and the high pressure and the, the win at all costs. Uh, so to transition from that to a fun young team um, is something that I, I've been, I had been looking forward to, and I'm excited to see where this goes in the future. Yeah. You know, can I ask, are you located in Cleveland? I am not. I'm, okay. I'm, I, I live in Canada. I live in uh, Winnipeg for anyone that knows where that is. Got it. So I was wondering if obviously you're able to look at it from that analyst point of view and appreciate this part of the process where it's the mm-hmm. early stages of moving forward. But do you feel yeah. like the fan base has checked out a little bit because it might not be as entertaining? You're dropping a lot of games. I think you definitely, I, I think you lost some of the Cleveland fans. And not necessarily the the Cavs fans. I, I know some people kind of need a bit of a break. Uh, we've been really fortunate with the the Chase Down podcast, where um, where a lot of our audiences kind of stayed strong. I'm surprised that our numbers didn't take uh, that big of a blow. Um, and there's a lot of people that were kind of along with my friend mine, where they were ready for a reset. Um, you kind of got a year of that uh, in year four after Kyrie was gone. At that point, it was clear that LeBron was probably leaving. Um, it, you had no shot at a championship. So you've already traded in your regular season fund, and you're not really having any playoff fun outside of beating on the Raptors. Um, so that it, I, I think that helped the transition for a lot of people. Um, Cleveland is a football town, but there is a lot of diehard um, Cavs fans, and um, my first time actually flying down to Cleveland was um, prior to LeBron coming back. It was kind of in that in-between stage. And I, I was really impressed at the time of just the, the fan support that was there, um, how many people were still at the arena. As I, I know, most nights were sold out last year. And, and some of that is due to season ticket holders that re- had renewed. But um, there, there was still a strong presence there. So I, I think it, it's been a resilient fan base. And if you give them something worth caring about, they're going to show up. Um, the the larger Cleveland crowd isn't is going to be a bit of stragglers on that, but there, there's certainly enough Cavs fans out there. And living up in Winnipeg, how did you first get involved with the Cavs? So Winnipeg is very much like the Cleveland of the North. Um, both cities lost their favorite team. We lost our the our hockey team, the Jets. Uh, eventually got that back the same way Cleveland got the Browns back. Uh, constant sports failure, uh, which is very easy, very easy to relate to. Uh, so, I, I mean, that's the main thing is when you're fans, you want other like-minded people that you can relate to their mentality. You, you kind of have the same twisted sense of humor over it. Um, we, we got a lot of Central Division games up here uh, when, when I was growing up. So you get a lot of Pistons, Bulls, uh, Bucks, and Cavs. Um, and I didn't want to jump on the bandwagon and be like, oh, I'm going to be a Bulls fan, MJ, and all that, which, I mean, at that point, he he was 
on the Wizards and retired, but I, I just felt like that was too much of a bandwagon franchise. So I, I thought that I'd start off with the Cavs and, and this young LeBron James guy, and that ended up working out pretty well for me. Um, I was very unsure after the decision on whether or not, like, deep down I was a LeBron fan or a Cavs fan, but um, after he had left, I, I ended up becoming a, a even bigger fan. That's when I started writing for the team, uh, flying down to Cleveland for trips, and, and it all just kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, and I think that, you know, grinding it out through these parts is one of the more, not necessarily enjoyable parts, but I know that Rich and I definitely do find an interest in it, in this slow building process, and it makes it feel so much rewarding when you finally reach that point of tasting success, uh, you know, assuming that you finally do, <laughs> speaking with this 13-year playoff drought, but I think there's, there's no the, consequences, right? Like that's the biggest thing is there's no expectations, there's no yeah. consequence, and you get to see that organic growth. It, it it's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, I I think that some of the worst years are some of the most fun years. I I, I know that there's a lot of fun to be had watching playoff games, but I think it's a lot of fun to to watch the the draft and follow those guys and all that stuff. I mean, watching a player go from watching a team or a player you know, come out of nowhere and, and become something, uh, you know, a force in this league, which is what we're seeing starting to happen, hopefully, uh, with the Kings and with guys like Darren Fox and Marvin Bagley. I mean, th I think that's more fun than than rooting for a, a perennial champion. And, and I can also say that, you know, both Brendan and I grew up in the Bay Area and experienced that with the Warriors. So, I don't know. We don't need to get off too far into the weeds about, <laughs> you know, fan stuff and, and, you know, who, when is it okay to change teams or is it okay if they're winning? Can you, can you stop cheering for them then? Or can you cheer for a team on the, on the different, co on a different coast like Brendan does? So it's all, it's all very interesting. I actually secretly want to write a book about like fan, fan immigration at some point, but I won't, I won't bother on about that. I will just thank you so much, Justin, for being a great guest and thank you for coming on the show today. No problem, guys. Anytime. Really appreciate it. Can you tell everyone where to find your find your writing and, and find your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find my writing at fearthesword.com. Uh, a lot of good Cavs writers there. Um, and then you can also find me on the Chase Down podcast. Uh, it is a Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, obviously, but we do talk about the league as a whole and just kind of talk about whatever we want, kind of through our wine and gold colored glasses. Uh, so we have a lot of fun there. Um, worth checking us out. Um, and always, if you do check us out and you like it, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, <laughs> resubscribe, cook those books and do the same thing on this damn podcast because that's the stuff we live off of. So um, I always encourage you to do that and support your favorite podcast. There you go. You know, we're not good enough about saying that and you have that down. So we really appreciate that there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so used to saying it and it's such a small thing, but um, I... I know it was beaten over. Uh, I got beaten over the head with it, uh, listening to other podcasts, and then once I, I really started getting involved on my own, I realized what a difference it makes, and, yeah. and it doesn't take a lot of time. So, all you listeners out there, go do that. Go go support your favorite podcast. There you go, definitely. And thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse, King's Pulse podcast. You will hear from us again here in a couple of days.